This morning we're continuing our uh, message series, Encountering Jesus. And because I won't be uh, speaking next Sunday, the Sunday before all of the events that we just watched took place, today we're going to talk about Jesus' passion, his uh, suffering. It's called Jesus' passion because it comes from the Latin word passio, which means suffering. And we're going to look at uh, his story today and what his suffering and his dying means for us. Uh, during this series, we've been looking at several, several encounters that various people had with Jesus that are recorded for us in Scripture. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of an encounter which turned out to be the last encounter anyone had with Jesus before his resurrection. And this story uh, leading up to the encounter was this. Uh, Holy Week begins next Sunday, and uh, that marks Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And on that day, everyone seemed to get that Jesus was the coming king. They went out to greet him by the thousands. They were throwing their cloaks before him. They flocked to him as he rode into Jerusalem, the humble king on a donkey. But as the week progressed, the opposition grew, and the religious leaders, the jealousy mounted, and an opportunity presented itself to when a betrayer came forward and sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. By late Thursday night, after the Passover meal that we're commemorating here this morning, Jesus and his disciples went to the garden to pray. The disciples ended up sleeping while Jesus cried out to his father that this cup would pass from him if possible. But early in the morning hours on Friday, soldiers were dispatched with Judas leading the way, and Jesus was arrested. Under the cover of darkness, He was brought to the home of the high priest where a trial of sorts took place and Jesus was mocked, spit upon, blindfolded, beaten while they hurled insults at him. At daybreak, they led him to Pilate. And though Pilate made somewhat of an attempt to free him, by nine o'clock the trial before Pilate was over, he had been flogged beyond recognition sentenced to crucifixion, and sent off with the cross to carry to his death. So in today's scripture, we find Jesus at the center again, not of a triumphant parade, but at the center between two thieves, dying a criminal's death. And if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, Uh, We're going to read the story of this encounter. Jesus is being led out to be crucified. And it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his clothing by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. 
The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the last encounter anyone had with Jesus. And, you know, we don't know if this thief at some point or another had had an, a, another encounter with Jesus. You know, maybe he was a pickpocket in one of the crowds that was pushing and clamoring to get near Jesus. Maybe he had stood on the fringes as Jesus taught one day. Or maybe he had a friend or a family member who'd been healed by Jesus. But um, we don't know. Maybe he didn't know him at all, but God used him as yet one more voice to say, my son is innocent. Just one more testimony that the suffering that he was suffering was for someone else's stuff. And we don't know his backstory. But Luke tells us that on a cross, on a hill called the Skull, his story and Jesus' story came together. And this morning we're going to look at three biblical truths that we find from this encounter. And the first is that the end Jesus suffered was the end that we deserved. The end that Jesus met was the end we deserve. Although we, we don't know these men or their whole story, apparently the one thief knew enough about his own story and the story of the other thief to make this statement, we're getting what our deeds deserve. In other words, the guilty sentence that sent them to the cross was spot on, and they were suffering an agonizing end to their story. But in between them was another one who was suffering the same end, but who had done no wrong, who was innocent of any crime. You know, Pilate had said, I find no fault in him. Uh, Judas had taken the 30 pieces of silver back to the Jewish leaders and threw it at their feet and said, I've betrayed innocent blood. Jesus was completely innocent. So, so why did God allow his innocent spotless lamb to suffer and die on a cross? The answer is found throughout scripture, but one of the way, places that it's found most clearly is in Isaiah 53. And I would encourage you to turn with me to this passage because, you know, we weren't, we're not going to be able to read the whole uh, chapter. But I hope that you will sometime this week or during Holy Week because it's amazing in its detail and its imagery. And when you think about that this was written 700 years before Jesus' crucifixion, it really is worth taking the time to sit down and read through. Uh, but we're going to read part of it this morning, starting, um, I'll start in verse 1, but the screen's going to come up at verse 2. 
Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The things that Jesus suffered, he suffered in our place. And you know, I, I think about my life and I look at all that Jesus suffered and, and I think, well, you know, I didn't deserve that end. <laughs> Uh, that he must have suffered for the murderers and the child molesters and the uh, human traffickers, those kinds of people. But scripture says that sin is sin and that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we've all missed the mark and we all need a savior. And there's just something about God's holiness and his justice that requires that sin be dealt with so that we can have access to God. And yet, his love for us is so deep that he chooses to pay the price himself. First uh, Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. In, in Christ's death, we've been set free from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. I mean, he's, he's set us free from that. And he's given us his spirit so that we can live for righteousness. And it's really amazing, amazing grace. Oh, how he loves you. How he loves me. Um, it's just beyond anything that we can imagine. And because Jesus suffered so much for us, we know that uh, the second thing that we know is that Jesus understands our suffering and our pain. Uh, crucifixion was such a barbaric form of execution that uh, Roman citizens were never crucified. Uh, that was reserved for foreigners and um, slaves. Jesus knows what it is to be humiliated, to be betrayed, to be hit, to be spit on, to be abused, to be rejected. He knows what physical pain is. He endured all of that because he loves you, because he loves me. And Isaiah describes him as a man of suffering and familiar with pain. So we know that he understands everything that we experience. Uh, if you've ever had a friend that's deserted you, so is Jesus. If you've ever been abused as a child or by a spouse, if you've ever targeted as, uh, by a bully, bully, 
had a parent who turned away from you, felt the sting of death or the pain of a tragic loss, God understands. Uh, He saw his only son crucified. Jesus understands. He suffered every kind of abuse imaginable. He understands our pain. And the thief on the cross knew this uh, to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt because Jesus was hanging right there beside him, suffering everything that he suffered and experiencing what he experienced. And as difficult as it is to believe or can be to believe when we're in the midst of a trial or we suffer a loss that God knows or God cares, he does. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. And God has already set in, a, in motion a plan to make things right, to, to restore what was lost, to fix what was broken. And that's why Jesus came. And he will help you through every tragedy if you uh, will continue to trust in him. And that's the third thing, that Jesus' power and his purposes will always prevail. Continue to trust because his power and his purposes will always prevail. Uh, Here in this scripture, in this encounter with Jesus, we have uh, an amazing picture of faith. Faith to believe that um, even though we don't see it now, Jesus has a kingdom and he is going to establish that kingdom. And it's a kingdom where there are no more tears. There's no more suffering, no death, uh, no crying. And, and I just kind of invite you to think about this scene with me for a minute. Jesus is hanging there on the cross between two thieves, and the soldiers are mocking him. The whole point of Roman crucifixion was humiliation. They wanted, didn't want anybody else to think about doing what this guy had done. So they do everything that they can to show that this person is powerless in their hands. That they do everything they can to humiliate to make this person suffer. And so they were doing everything imaginable. And Jesus had chosen for our sake not to use power to save himself. And at one point, his hands and feet are nailed to the cross, and he says, I'm thirsty. I mean, here's the God of the universe who's just asking somebody to please, please get me a drink. The living water... (laughs) saying, would somebody please help me? And the criminals, one of them starts in as well. And he says, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. And while you're at it, save us too. But this other criminal, whose name is probably written in the book of life as one of the people with the most faith ever in all of history, He says, don't you fear God even when you're dying. We deserve to die, but this man is innocent. And then he makes this incredible statement of faith. He says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, others had believed in Jesus when he was performing miracles. When he was healing the sick and raising the dead, they put their faith in him. And others would believe in him later, after he was risen from the dead, and they could touch the nail scars and put their hand in the hole in his side. But this guy, this guy puts his faith in a dying God. And, uh, you know, the other criminal, he's so much like 
so many of us, you know, if you're really Jesus, if you're really God, then save me. <laughs> save us. Rescue me. But this guy somehow, somehow has the faith to believe that not only is Jesus a king, but that even if they kill him, he will still establish his kingdom. And if you think about that for a minute, how is it possible that he believes that Jesus has a kingdom? There are no armies marching to rescue him. The crown that he's wearing is a crown of thorns. The soldiers have divided his clothes and cast lots for his robe. He's hanging there, humiliated, naked or nearly naked, seemingly powerless, with his hands and his feet nailed to the cross. And yet, totally ignoring everything that he could see with his human eyes, he looks ahead to things that we do not yet see, and he says, Jesus, when you become king, can I be the first citizen in your kingdom? And he's like, you know, a breath away from dying, and he's putting in a job application. <laughs> can I be a cupbearer? Can I be a janitor? Can, can I be a citizen in your kingdom? Wherever you are, I want to be there. And I don't know what kind of things um, you've suffered or what you may be going through right now. But I know these two things. First, Jesus does care. Uh, he proved that with his great love on the cross in his passion and in his suffering. And the second thing is that Jesus' power and his purposes will prevail. There is a resurrection. There is hope. And the thief's response was to put his faith in Jesus Christ, to, to put his trust in Jesus. And that's what Jesus asked of us, to believe that he died for us, that he's already paid the price for the times that we got it wrong, and to begin to live for him. Our memory verses from the letter to the Galatians, Galatians 2.20. Would you read it with me? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. And you know, I, I like to use humor in my messages, but it just didn't seem to fit today when you think about Jesus' passion. But we can have joy this morning as we come to celebrate communion together because there is hope, because there is resurrection, and because Jesus' power and his purposes will always prevail in our life. I want to invite Becky and Glenn to come now, and then Chris has asked somebody else to to, to come help with communion. All right. As we move into the communion service, the altar is always open um, if you want to come pray this morning. Communion in the United Methodist Church is an open table. That means it's open to all those who turn from sin and seek to live in peace with one another to draw closer to God.
Before us, we have symbols that tell a story. And the story took place on the night before Jesus' death. He sat at table with his disciples, with those who had followed him, walked with him, people who he had taught, loved, laughed with. And together they shared a meal. And during the meal, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks for it and he said, this is my body broken for you. After the meal, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he held it out to his disciples and he said, this is the blood, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you share this meal together, do it in remembrance of me. Friends, the body and the blood of Christ given for you, given for me. Would you pray? Lord, we ask, we thank you so much, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you've made on our behalf, that you suffered all that you did so that we could know you, that we could have life in you and live with you forever. And we ask right now that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we as a church and individuals may be the body of Christ to the world that needs you so badly. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And would you join me for the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.